Well, hey, Pod Rishner, this is Zach Daniel. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch Dallas, and I'm with Stephen Murray. Stephen? Pod Rishner, did you just make a word up? No, I heard someone else do that, but it's podcast listener and parishioner combined. You like that? that was, that's amazing. Uh, I also heard like the word awfulize, which is like people make things like the worst you could imagine. They awfulize something. So those are some cool words that are they're coming up with these days. Save that for the time that you're on Jeopardy and you got two good answers. Well, hey, I know we're heading into the fall, Stephen, so we've got a lot of different things going on. One of the things that I'm super excited about is stuff with college ministry. Why don't you give our listeners, before we get into the message, why don't you just give them a couple highlights of the college ministry? And if a college student, you're listening to this, or you're a family member of a college student here in Dallas, you want to perk your ears up because this is for you. Yes. So one of our biggest initiatives this semester is for students to get wrecked. That is R-E-C apostrophe D. And so that's an acronym. It means relationship. We want you to get real with someone. Uh, and we just believe in relationships, uh, encouragement. We want you to read the Bible and see that Jesus wants to encourage us as we follow him. And every time Jesus speaks, he's speaking through the lens of encouragement to give faith to students. Uh, and then challenge. We want any encouragement that Jesus gives us to be lived out through obedience. So following Jesus. So if you're a college student, and you're not even at Antioch, you're welcome. Get wrecked. Do that. That's our discipleship strategy for this semester. And we're really excited to be at SMU, UTD. If you're a college student, Antioch is the place for you. We are a multicultural, multi-ethnic, intergenerational, non-denominational church that is on a podcast and we are all podrishioners. So gig them. Man, that's exciting. So if you're a college student, mom, dad of a college student, brother, sister, cousin, friend, you know someone who went to college, pass that along to them. We've got a discipleship plan for this fall. In today's message, we're continuing our series on arrows. We're particularly talking about how do we do relationships well? How do we do marriage well? How do we do parenting well? And, and what does God uh, have to do with that, if anything? Today's message focuses in on parenting and how we shape our kids like arrows for the destiny and calling of God on their lives. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, And with that, here is the message. Thanks for listening, guys. Hey, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch, Dallas. Want to welcome you today. Welcome home to the presence of Jesus. Welcome home to the people of Jesus. Welcome home to the purposes of Jesus. And if you're a visitor, if this is your first time, man, we're super glad that you are here. This is a great place to learn and to grow and to build meaningful friendships and to get launched into your purpose in, in God. We're really excited that you're here. If you call Antioch, Dallas, your church home, so honored to get to be a part of what God is doing here and love that you're a part of it. Today, we're going to continue our series on relationships, specifically focusing in on how do we do relationships well? How do we do marriage well? How do we do parenting well? And what, if anything, does God have to do with it? If you'll turn your Bible to Psalm 127, that's where we're going to be. That's where we're kind of learning from the word of God in this season. And I was thinking about today's message, the, the, the portion of the scripture we're going to focus on in this psalm. 
is talking about God's good, wise, and loving plan for parenting. And I was thinking about parenting, and I was thinking about my own personal family. If you don't know, my wife and I were expecting our fourth child uh, due here at the end of the month. So that's exciting. So we're making all the plans, getting ready, uh, uh, registering at the hospital, and figuring out kid stuff and, and whatnot. So if you think about us in the next week and a half, pray for us, particularly pray for my wife and, and the baby. Pray for me that I don't say anything dumb. That's another story. Um, dad's in here. You understand. All right, and pray for us. But I was thinking about when um, when we found out we were pregnant with our, our first child, Sparrow. She's going into fourth grade. And I remember my wife and I, we got married uh, young. I was 23. She turned 22 on her honeymoon. And uh, we waited five years. We wanted to be married for a while to really build a foundation in our relationship before we entered into that season of, of family. So five years in, we said, okay, it just kind of feels right. It's time to uh, start with children. And I remember when she told me that, that she was pregnant and that I had something to do with it, and it was just, <laughs> man, so exciting just to think about, wow, I'm going to be a dad. You're going to be a mom. We're going to have a child. It's just a blow away. If you're a parent in the room, you know, what I'm talking about. We went to the first doctor's appointment and you hear the heartbeat early on. It's just amazing how early you can hear the baby's heart beating. We hear the heartbeat and it just kind of hits you at another level of, wow, okay, this is amazing, right? And then we have the sonogram and you can kind of see the baby's features growing and developing and you get all those uh, baby center you know, emails that tell you, your baby is the size of a small pea. Your baby is the size of a peach pit, right? It kind of gives you an insight into what's going on and just the buildup. Uh, we found out, we did the gender reveal. Those of you who can wait the full nine months, uh, I, I envy you. I cannot. We just need kind of like a halfway marker. And we found out that it was a girl just so excited. So we're praying about a name and, and just getting ready. And I remember when we went to the hospital to, to have the baby or you to have the baby and me to hopefully not say anything dumb and just, wow, baby's born. You're holding a child that you made somehow in your hands. And I don't, I don't think I'll ever forget that. I mean, it's just one of the most uh, uh, awe-inspiring moments of life. It just struck, right? And we were in the hospital and they're helping you, you know, take care of the baby and whatnot. And then you take the baby home. And that, uh, I think that's when I got a little intimidated, right? I, I didn't really think about it up until then, but now like <laughs> I have a baby. <laughs> I don't have an instruction manual. Um, there's no like taking it back for like, you know, can you, can you take this child for a day or two? It starts crying and you've got to figure out, is this like a cry that means it has a terminal illness or it just has gas? And it can mean anything in between. And everybody's got an opinion on it, right? Then diapers, okay? So you're changing diapers and you got to figure out, A, how to take the, the dirty one off, how to get everything in there clean, right? Without getting stuff all over yourself in the room. And you got to get a new diaper on. I mean, that was almost like, I need a graduate school to figure that out, right? And then you've got nap schedule. And if you don't, if you're not a parent in the room, nap schedule kind of works like your baby takes a lot of naps at first or is supposed to, but sometimes he or she doesn't. And then you have to figure out why. And then you get them on a nap schedule and they, then they change their nap schedule. So just when you think you got this thing figured out, then they throw you a curveball. And that's 
Parenting 101. Well, now we've been parents for almost 10 years, so that's 87,000 hours as parents. Uh, if you're a Malcolm Gladwell fan, we got that 10,000-hour mark gone. I don't know that we're experts yet, but that means we've changed approximately 21,000 diapers. Now, I will say my wife has changed more diapers than I, but I have been a faithful diaper changer. And if I had known, you know, kind of done the math, I would have bought stock in one of those diaper companies because, man, you buy and use a lot of diapers. And I think 10 years in, thinking about our first child and now thinking about our fourth, right? You, we're not on the beginning of parenting by any means. We've got some, some tread worn off those parenting tires. But at the same time, there's still that feeling of being overwhelmed, being stretched, maybe beyond what you think you can do. And you're like, I have um, all these children, right? We started with one and we could play zone defense on them. And then we had a second one and that was man to man. So that took a little bit of adjusting. Then we had a third. So now they're playing zone on us. Like you two, you cover mom and dad. I'm gonna make a break for the candy over here, right? And you find the wrappers underneath their pillow, but that's a different, different sermon. And now we're going to like two, like we're, we're doubly outnumbered. You know, so it's just good night. You master second grade, then they get into third grade, then they get into fourth, you know, it just goes on and on. Uh, and there's great potential in parenting. You realize the significance that you have, right? Kids are going to have many friends. They got one mom. They got one dad. You know, it's inc there's incredible potential. In week one, we said that, um, that psychologists tell us that there are a couple defining issues in our lives that will determine uh, our, our fruitfulness and our flourishing. And they're primarily relational. We have relationships of intimacy or isolation. We have relationships of generosity or self-absorption. And you realize as a parent, this is one of the places where those questions are going to be uh, uh, worked out in your own life. Incredible potential. Incredible potential in parenting. And then also incredible, gosh, I could really screw a kid's life up and it would be mine, right? You just realize the significant role that parents play. I'm really thankful that in the midst of this great potential, this longing for meaningful relationships that we all, we agreed a couple of weeks ago, we have, and we realize that, it, that one of the primary theaters in which those relationships are developed is in the family, in this great place of great need, God doesn't leave us in a vacuum. He doesn't leave us just to parent out of our past, our pain, our preferences, our, our pop culture, but he, the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus speaks into our families. We learned two weeks ago that God has a good, wise, and loving plan for our families. That God has a good, wise, and loving plan for your family, whatever season of life that you're in, that you would flourish and that you would prosper. He's that good. And I told you over these series of weeks, regardless of if you're single, dating, engaged, married, married with kids, grandparents, step-parents, foster parents, adopted, uh, like whatever your family kind of setup is, that God has a good, wise, and loving plan for you. And I wanted us to be convinced of that plan. I wanted to speak to your minds. I wanted the word of God to convince you right here of that. I wanted you to be encouraged in your hearts. I wanted you to be inspired to pursue 
this good plan for yourself. How many of you know it's not enough just to know something is good or know something is right or know something is wise, but we need to be touched at our heart level, right? I can know that Brussels sprouts are good. I can know that they're healthy. I can know they'd be wise to eat them. Fact of the matter is I hate Brussels sprouts, so I'm not going to eat them, right? We can know that God's plan at an intellectual level, yeah, that would be a good thing. At a heart level, we say, man, that's way too hard. That's way too difficult, and so we won't do it. But I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be inspired that you would, if you pay attention for the next 25, 30 minutes and come back the next couple weeks as we talk about this, that you would run with a fresh zeal and passion for the good things that God has in store for you, that your hearts would be on fire. And number three, I wanted you to be equipped. I wanted your hands to be trained, that you would have knowledge and you would have passion, but it wouldn't be passion without, without equipping, without training, that you would get some tools, you would get some equipping that you could go forth from these weeks and build healthy relationships, build healthy marriages, build healthy parenting, build a healthy dating relationship, build healthy friendship. Those are our three goals. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're looking at. We're going to be in Psalm 127, but on that equipping front, each week, We've wanted to give away some resources. That's one of the questions. And we surveyed, what do we need help with in the way of relationship? It was like, I, I need some good resources that I can learn. We want healthy relationships. Far too many of us don't feel like we've gotten that training along the way. And so we're like, where do we learn? So I've got a couple of resources for you. Um, two weeks ago, we talked about God's plan for family and the contours uh, of family. We talked about um, the way that, that family, the, the contours of marriage being between a husband and a wife. We talked about sex and sexuality. Uh, it, it's actually become one of the most downloaded podcasts we've done. Go figure. The topic, if you were here, you know why. If you weren't here, uh, you, know, you might want to go listen to it. I think it'll encourage you and equip you. Um, one of the resources that I wanted to give away was this book called Intended for Pleasure. And it dives more into the how-to uh, because unlike the Hollywood movies uh, tell you, I'm just, you know, talking at one level uh, right now, one like, unlike the Hollywood movies tell you, it doesn't all come together, just boom, 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 right? We need to be equipped, and we don't want to learn in a locker room or on some crazy website that you feel like you need to dig into. I want you to be equipped from godly people who are experts and who can help you flourish in that. So if you've been married, you got married in the last six months, last six months, raise your hand. Okay, you can come forward. You got a book for you. Come on up. You got it. All right. You're the winner on The Price is Right. Come on down. <laughs> there you go. If, if you didn't win the book, Intended for Pleasure, you can get it on Amazon. Probably like 10 bucks on your Kindle. Well worth the investment. Um, second book that I wanted to give away is about fathers. And if you... Um, feel like, man, I, you know, there were a lot of things that my earthly dad didn't give me or couldn't give me for a variety of reasons. And you feel like you're going into thinking about parenting and you just realize you're at a deficit. I just want to say that you, uh, man, you're in a good place to be. That the gospel is a relational hospital. That means if you're broken relationally, Jesus heals us. And it's a relationship university. If you're like, man, I think I missed that class somewhere along the way. The gospel equips us. I'm going to talk to you about that today. But I want to give you a book that's really been impacting to me as a dad. I have a really good dad. But the fact of the matter is all of our dads fall short of the glory of God. 
And this book has been really helpful for me in parenting my kids and learning about fathers. It's a little bit of a different guide on fatherhood, but I think it will encourage you. And so if you, uh, in here, let's see, you have a child uh, that's, you know, sixth grade or under, sixth grade or under. We had a lot more parents in the first service. All right, right here, Mr. Ferguson. There you go. You got to get your hands up, guys. Spin the wheel. Okay, there's some equipping. Let's turn to the Word of God. Psalm 127. That book, if you didn't win it, it was uh, Fatherless Generation by Dr. John Sowers. Really powerful book. 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he, being God, gives to his beloved sleep. And all the parents of small children said, Amen. Verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of, a, of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I want you to focus in on verse four today. That's gonna be where we focus. Verse four, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. When you hear that, when you realize that Solomon, the writer of this song, is not speaking with language of precision, but speaking with language of poetry, He's describing God's plan for family. He's talking about that God is a builder of families and that we can look to God and we can let him build our families. He's talking about children. He says that children like arrows, what does it make you think? What does it, what does it bring to mind? I've got an arrow right here. And as I think about my kids being like arrows, man, it means that there's a purpose and a destiny to their lives. That there's more to parenting than just kind of making it through the day, but that we're shaping our kids for a destiny. If you know anything about arrows, they are crafted with great precision and care. If the arrow is off in a direction or these little feathers right here are ripped or broken or misaligned, the arrow won't fly straight. So that means if you make an arrow, you have to put a lot of time, a lot of care, a lot of detail, a lot of attention to the shaping of an arrow. And it's amazing for me to think about as a father that God wants to shape my kids like an arrow, that there's a purpose, a divine purpose for their lives, that he's got plans for them. He has a destiny for them. And we, my wife and I, we're training them and we're molding them and we're preparing them to be launched out into their destiny. That's inspiring. That's inspiring that there's a purpose and a point to your parenting. And I want to speak with you a little bit about that today. And I want to take you into the larger narrative of scripture on that verse right? No verse in the Bible stands alone, right? The way we understand the Bible is by looking at a verse as like a window into the larger story of scripture. So if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to the things of God, you're in a great place to learn, right? No one in this church has all the answers, including the pastor, but God has the answers and we can look to him. And he teaches us through his word. And as we look here, we see this theme of parenting 
isn't just mentioned in an isolated way in Psalm 127, but it's part of a larger work of God in our world. And I want to take you into some of that today. So I want you to go from Psalm 127 over to Ephesians 3. In the New Testament, we're going to pick up another place in the Bible where it helps us see more, helps us see more into this window of the way that God builds family, that God has a good, wise, and loving plan for our family. Ephesians 3. So New Testament, it's a six-chapter book written by the Apostle Paul. He was one of the early leaders in the church. And in these six chapters, he kind of takes Christianity and sums it up A to Z, six chapters, six lessons. This is the big story of what Christianity is all about. This is a story of who God is and what he's doing in our world. If you're a new believer, if you're new to the Bible, I'd encourage you to start in the book of John. You get a great picture of Jesus. Second place after you read the gospel of John, go to Ephesians. Six chapters, and you kind of get the cliff notes all condensed of, oh, this is what this big, this is what this big book, uh, the narrative is. We're going to be in chapter three, right smack dab in the middle of this six chapter book. And we're going to pick up where Paul is talking about family. Ephesians three, verse 14, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, something really important right there, right in the middle of that verse. Paul is telling us that at the center of the universe, at the center of Christianity, the creator God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus is a father. That there is a relational God at the center of the universe that is a father. He's not an idea. He's not a principle. He's not a power source like the force on Star Wars. He's a father. And Christianity, I don't know what you've heard. I don't know if you've heard that it's rules. I don't know that you've heard if it's a political kind of statement or a philosophy or kind of a series of, of wise sayings, kind of like fortune cookies stapled together. I think there are all those things that can be seen. It affects our politics. It affects our, our wisdom. It affects our understanding. But the center point of Christianity is none of those things. The center point is that God is a father. And in Jesus, he has gone out looking for people like you and me, people that are far from God, and through Jesus, he's brought us in. The Bible says, adopted us in to God's forever family. That's the heartbeat, the central message, the cliff notes boiled down in 15 seconds is that you and I have a father who is God, whose goodness is so far exceeding anything we could imagine. And yet in his goodness, he has come for you and me. He said, I want you to be a part of my family and I've sent Jesus to bring you into my family. This is the center point. From that place, Paul goes on to describe this relationship and this God. In verse 16, he says that according, this is what he's praying, according to the riches of God's glory, that means your heavenly father is rich in glory that he would grant you and me to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. For what purpose? 
so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That the center of the universe is a God who is a father who loves you deeply. And that in Jesus, you're brought into that family. And God wants you to know that you're loved. This relationship with God the Father, this love is meant to be healing. It's meant to be restoring. It's meant to be recentering. It's where we find our truest selves. It's where we're made new. It's where we're born again. It's where we come into our own as God intended us to be. It's where we're blown away by how awesome God the Father is right here. I want to show you one of the most famous paintings uh, about Christianity, about this idea. If you'll pull that one up, this is a painting of the prodigal son, one of the most famous stories of Jesus. Because Paul isn't the guy who made this up. He wasn't sitting around kind of typing out a letter to the church at Ephesus and just kind of, how can I describe this? No, he's relaying to us the central revelation of Jesus. Jesus came. He's the one that said, this is what God is like. He's like a father. And he told this story of the prodigal son. And I want you to see that image. And I want you to let it reframe and heal and realign all of our varied images of who God is. This is what Paul is saying. This is who God is. He's a father. He's a father who loves you like crazy. Paul goes on. A short chapter later, building on this idea in Ephesians 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, in light of who God is, in light of his great love for you, in light of what he's done for you in Jesus, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I want you to know I walk like my dad. I didn't know this until I was 17 or 18. And I had a coach tell me, Zach, you know, you walk just like your dad. I didn't know my dad had a walk to imitate. But he was like, yeah, you, you tilt your head the same way. You tilt your shoulders the same way. You carry your arm the same way. You turn your feet the same way. You walk just like your dad. Now, I had never had an official training session with my dad where he told me this is how you walk, right? We had never talked about it. I didn't even know. But somehow in that relationship with my father, in his presence, in his relationship with me, I, I learned to walk like him. Unconsciously, unplanned, but it just is kind of what happened. So crazy thing is now full circle, people tell me my two-year-old Jasper, they come up and be like, hey, you know, he walks just like you do. We've never had a talk about this. We've never had a sit down, Jasper. Let me just show you the way to go. He wouldn't even get that. But just by being around me, he's observed and he's been shaped by my relationship with him. It shapes how he walks. So what Paul is saying here, out of God being a father, out of his great love for you, out of what Jesus has done for you, I want you to walk like your dad. Not your earthly father, but your heavenly father, right? So if you're here and you have a, a really strained relationship with your dad, 
You didn't have a great example. Uh, you know, I, this is a place of compassion and empathy and a place where we can be honest with that. But I have good news for you. That regardless of who your earthly father is or was or was not, that you have a heavenly father whose love is healing and he can reshape and remake and retrain the way that you and I walk. And here we see in verse two, a descriptor of what that looks like. That love that God has for us that we're to walk in and we're to live by and we're to demonstrate to others. Paul describes it's the love that Christ loved us with and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We live in a cultural moment where love means a thousand different things to a thousand different people. I love pizza. I love the Cowboys. I love my wife. But in every case, that means something different, right? We live in a, a cultural moment where it's like, hey, love is love is love. And that means so many different things. As a follower of Jesus, you have an anchor, a fixed point, a, a source to come back to of what love looks like. And it's what Jesus has done for you. It's the way Jesus gave himself up for you and me. This love that rocks us and shapes us that Paul was praying that we would know deeply, right? This is our fixed point for, for love. This is the centerpiece of Christianity. And I want to show you just another painting. This is Jesus on the cross, right? This is why Christians talk about Jesus, his crucifixion, and his resurrection a lot, because it demonstrates the love of God in very tangible form. I want to show you a second picture. Uh, this is from the Passion on the Christ movie, Passion of the Christ movie with Mel Gibson on your on my right, your left, Jim Caviezel um, on your right, and he's in makeup, right? You might have seen the movie. I saw this come across my social media feed this week, and the, and the caption was me telling Jesus he doesn't understand my pain. <laughs> <laughs> And I want to let that sink in, right? Because this is what Paul is saying, is that Christ gave himself as a demonstration of love to you and to me. When we were enemies with God, God came looking for us and brought us into his family. Jesus loves you like crazy. Now walk like that. Let that be your center point. Let that be your focus. Let that be the theme of your life. Now turn to Ephesians chapter six. Paul is spelling it out. He's breaking it down. He's talking about, okay, so what does that big idea look like? He's gone through marriage. We looked at that two weeks ago. Now he's getting into parenting. Ephesians 6, one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I want you to focus in on verse four. And I want you to see what's the name given to a parent. It's father. It's not boss. It's not dictator. It's not master or sergeant. No, it's father. We just saw the, the origin, the, the place that that name comes from is a reflection of God the Father. What do we take from this? That as parents walking in love, mom or dad, we are to be an image or a reflection of the love that we have received from God the Father. That the source and the contour and the content of our parenting is shaped as a reflection out of who God the Father is and the way he has treated us. 
and the way he treats us. That's our fixed point. So if you're coming into parenting and you're like, I have no idea what to do. I didn't have a good example, Zach. I don't know. You have a good example in God the Father. And for all of us, our fathering or our mothering is to be shaped out of who God the Father is and the way he fathers us, the way he mothers us. So what does that mean? That means that parenting at the core is a relational endeavor. God, the Father, initiates relationship with us. We, as parents, are to build relationship with our children. And you might be like, okay, Zach, that's kind of obvious, but it's really not. We live in what's called a fatherless generation. We live in an age where apart from wartime, there are more broken homes and broken families than any time in our history. Right? You move back 50 years in time or you move 5,000 miles one way or another and you realize this isn't the, the common story. But what I want you to see today is that as God the Father is relational with us, we build relationship with our children. That relationship is marked by love, just as God the Father's relationship with us is marked and shaped and the foundation is love. So what does that look like? How does that inform our parenting, right? You're getting the idea, but Zach, help me out. What does that look like? Number one, that means as a parent that we spend time with our children. I love technology. I love Amazon. I love that I can buy a book and it's on my device in like 10 seconds. I love that I can order my groceries and they'll probably be on my front door by the time I get home. I love it. But relationships do not work like technology. They're not instant. They take moments and months and weeks and days and years and, and, and all this time. And if we want to build relationship that reflects our heavenly father, if we want to let God shape our families to cause our kids to flourish, it's going to take time. That means uh, candy land. That means pickup sticks. That means mancala. That means Legos, Lego battles, bubble guppies, Paw Patrol, Good Night Moon for the hundred thousandth time, going on a bear hunt for the millionth time. Uh, that means going to the park more times than you would ever imagine you would go in your life, right? It's not always fun. It's not always, oh, this is what I want to do. I realized our kids, we didn't get the memo beforehand, but our kids don't sleep late on Saturdays. Didn't understand that, right? It's not always going to be like, oh man, this is great. But there's heavenly purpose in this. You're shaping arrows and you're reflecting God in the way that you treat your children. So we spend time with them. For us, this is meant, now this is a way, I'm not saying it's the way, but a way that we have sought to do this as we have prayed is that Christina has stayed home with our kids these 10 years of parenting. That may not always be what God leads us to do, but that's the thought process behind is we want to shape and mold our arrows. Now, again, I said that's a way, not the way. Big idea, takeaway, take home is you in this season. How is God calling you and your family to spend time together to cultivate those relationships? And it's going to change season by season. You're going to feel like, man, I got junior high down, but now my kid's in high school. I had high school down, and now my kid's in college. What's that look like? I had college down, but now my son, you know, is here or there. My daughter's here or there, right? It's going to change, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit to show us. But how do we spend time with our kids? Number two, we cultivate love by physical touch. We express love 
with our kids. God demonstrates his love for us. We demonstrate our love for our children. Let me give you some statistics on this warmth in the parent-child relationship. It's related to higher self-esteem. It's related to higher adolescent academic competence. It's related to healthier friendships and fewer feelings of alienation, hostility, aggression, diminished self-esteem, and antisocial behaviors. As we demonstrate our love through hugs, high fives, kisses, snuggles, wrestling, uh, fill in the blank. As we give our kids healthy touch, we set our kids up to flourish. This is the wisdom and the goodness of God's plan. As we give our kids healthy touch, we teach them what healthy touch looks like. Now, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Any Enneagram fans here? We got a few? Okay, we can talk afterwards. A couple fans. I'd encourage you to take that thing. I learned a lot about myself. One of the things I learned is that physical touch does not come naturally to me, to my personality. I'm an eight. It does not come natural to me. Doesn't matter. This is something that God's growing me in with my kids because I'm called to reflect his love, not just my personal personality preferences, right? So we spend time with our kids. We show physical affection. We show verbal affection. How many times in the Bible does it talk about God's love for us? Answer, a whole lot, right? If God was explicit in communicating his love for you, then mom and dad, we communicate. We are verbal communicators. It does not matter. Well, my family didn't do that. I realize that might make you uncomfortable, but God grows us when we're uncomfortable. He grows us when we're stretched, right? And so we become a family where it's like, man, we are verbally affirming and not tearing down. We're not silent. We're speaking. I love you. I'm proud of you. Come here, buddy. Let me tell you something. Do you know how much I love you? It's like all the time because that's how God is with us. Amen? Okay, so we're spending time. We're showing physical affection. We're showing verbal uh, affection. Now look in verse 4, what it says. It's not only that place of nurture. It's not only that relationship of love. But look, fathers, and I can show you other verses where it talks about mothers, uh, of both and, bring your kids up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So in that loving environment, we are training our kids for a purpose. We're shaping them like arrows. That word for discipline means this. It's paedia. I'm going to give you two definitions. Bringing a child up to maturity through development of the mind, the desire, the will, and the emotions. It's the making of the whole person. It's consciously shaping the young to understand and appreciate that which is beautiful and that which is good, training them to pursue that which is righteous and that which is virtuous so that the maturity of a flourishing life can be reached. Wow, that's holistic in nature. That means I'm not just trying to give my kid to be a good athlete because I just really wanted to be a good athlete. It means I'm not just trying to give my kid to do good in school, but I'm trying to shape my child in the instruction of the Lord that they would be like an arrow, that it would shape their loves. It would shape their relationships. It would shape the way that they relate to other people. It would shape their vision for life. And you start to realize, wow, there is a point to parenting. This is a heavenly calling that we're shaping arrows, not passing time. And we're shaping them holistically. Now go to verse one. And we see, I want you to see the wisdom of this plan on full display. 
God speaks to children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. I want you to notice that God is speaking to children. This is empowering. Our children are not just to be put off to the side. No, God has a plan for them. Your children, when they come to believe in Jesus, they don't have a junior Holy Spirit. They have the Holy Spirit. Amen? Right? They're just not, they're not victims of just kind of being uh, emotional and making bad decisions and whatnot. No, they're valuable. They're getting a command. They've got a part to play. And they're called to learn honor. Right? This is one of the things, mom and dads, that we teach our kids. And we, we get squirmish when we talk about, ooh, training, obedience. Ooh, Zach, I don't know. I've only seen that done in a really bad way. I want to show you why this one command it just a small picture of what God is doing displays the beauty and the wisdom of God's good plan for your family. Do you know that when a child is taught how to honor, when they're taught to look beyond themselves and look beyond just what they think and they feel and life being all about them, but they learn to honor mom and dad, that they're not victims, uh, they're not victims of the terrible twos or the terrible teens or whatever the label is, but that they are valuable contributors and they're taught to honor their parents. When they go into school, guess what they know how to do? They know how to honor their teachers. Teachers, you know on this, you see kids come in with all the potential in the world, but don't know how to honor authority and they get so sidetracked and they can't go after the things that you know they're made for because they just get caught up in disrespecting and getting off track and getting offended. They don't know how to honor. I talked to a buddy this week and we were both sharing about high school experiences where out of our own weakness and not knowing how to honor our teachers, we were held back from things that we desperately wanted. Not because we didn't have the ability, but because we didn't know how to honor people. If you are a sports fan, how many athletes do you know of with incredible athletic ability, incredible athletic ability, that get broken down on the side of the road, not playing anymore, because they didn't know how to honor their coaches? They didn't know how to honor the league that they were in? They didn't know how to honor their other teammates? When we teach our kids how to honor mom and dad, we equip them when they go on the sports field They know how to honor their coaches. They know how to honor their teammates. When we teach our kids how to honor their friends, how to honor mom and dad, they know how to honor their friends. They know how to look beyond themselves and live a life that's not self-obsessed, but is purposeful and walking in love as well. They know how to have healthy relationships. That means when they start to date, they know how to honor someone of the opposite sex because they learned how to honor mom and dad in their young days. They learn when people have conflict Right, they learn how to have healthy conflict. They learn how to honor people of, of other uh, uh, nationalities. They learn how to honor people of other races. They learn how to honor people of other religions because they were taught when they were little how to honor mom and dad. And they learn how to honor. And if we want to reshape racism in America, one of the places we can start is teaching our kids how to honor in the home. Amen? Right? We can train and we can shape arrows. And I want you to get a vision. When this says that your kids, that it will go well with them and they'll live long in the land, this is not like a video game where if you type in this certain code, then you get some extra lives and your kids get like 10 extra years. No, this is practical, on the streets, real life wisdom. That if we teach our kids how to honor one another, if we teach our kids how to honor the Lord, 
and his commands. We are equipping our kids to flourish in life. We are equipping our kids for whatever God might call them to, to have the relational skills to be able to walk in that. Honor opens doors. Honor opens doors of favor. We're shaping arrows. We're going back to Psalm 127 as we end. This is what we're doing for our kids. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. We're shaping them for a purpose. So I want to invite you to stand and I want you to see, wow, God's plan for my family is good, wise, and loving. And you might be single in here and you might be in the season of life that... I mean, I'm in the single season of life. Praise God. God has a good, wise, and loving plan for you. You might be dating. God has a good, wise, and loving plan for your dating relationship. You might be married. God has a good, wise, and loving plan for you. You might have kids, grandkids, stepkids, foster kids, adopted kids, you, whatever it might be. God has a good, wise, and loving plan for your family, for your parenting, for your kids. The gospel is a relational hospital. It heals us at the deepest level. It's a relationship university. It trains us how to have healthy relationships, how to have healthy family, to be more than transactional as families. Oh, these are people I get money from. To be more than, man, what's the shortest amount of time I can spend with my family at the holidays? Because I actually love them, and this is a source of life and strength. That's what God has. And I want us to lean into that. So if you bow your heads with me. Jesus, you're amazing. It's unbelievable that at the center of the universe, there's a, a heavenly father who's marked by goodness and love and wisdom. And then in Jesus, you've adopted us into your family and that you teach us and train us and equip us to have healthy families, to parent well, to launch our kids into a divine purpose and destiny, Lord. And we realize that this heavenly calling can't be done with earthly resources. We don't have the strength, the wisdom, the background, the know-how. We are brought to our knees and we look to you, Lord. And we need your love to heal us and your wisdom to teach us and your grace to set us free. Here we are, God. Launch us like arrows. Launch our family like arrows. Launch our kids like arrows into your purposes. In Jesus' name. Well, I hope that encouraged you. I hope that you're convinced that God has a good, wise, and loving plan for your family. I hope you're encouraged to pursue that. And I hope you feel equipped to do that. If this message spoke to you, if God's doing something in your life, I'd love for you to send us an email and let us know. You can do that by just hitting reply on any of the emails you get from us. Wait, what's that? You don't get emails from us. Oh, man, why don't you go to our website and you can sign up for our community newsletter. Once a week, you'll get updates on what's going on, what God is doing in our midst, and we would love for you to be a part. Uh, if you've enjoyed this series of podcasts, I'd love for you to go on iTunes and leave a review. It helps other people find out uh, about this stuff. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week.